my professional stance on it is that parents are not meant to be their child's best friend, at least not in the younger years. When you are able to allow friendship to develop between you and your child, you're able to see them in a different light and they're in turn able to see you in a different light. Hey everybody, Lynn Smith here and another episode of Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting created by Munchkin, the most loved baby brand in the world. This is a really interesting topic today and I've got some strong opinions on it. It's a little bit of a gray area for me, so I'm curious to see how it lands for you. Pal versus parent. So what does that really mean? Is it better to be your child's best friend, their pal, or is it better to just maintain that role as a parent? What should that look like? Is there gray area? I have an expert that's going to come in with some real information to separate some of the facts from maybe some of the fads that are out there, because we all hear some of those sometimes and they sort of cloud our opinions. And we're also going to hear from a mother with some very strong beliefs of her own. I have to tell you, I've got some strong beliefs about her beliefs as well. So I'll be sharing that and later on in the episode. As always, we've got some prizes, so stick around for that. I'm struggling with the word friend. It just feels a little bit too much like this is who I'm going to sneak out with at night and not get in trouble. I mean, there's got to be some kind of in the middle on this, but that's why I'm curious about what our expert says. I mean, my kids, I can't, how could I be their best friend? Their biggest interests are peanut butter cups and uh, and Disney movies. So like how am I, that's, I have other things on my mind. How can I only ever talk about those things? What? You don't love peanut butter cups? Come on. I love peanut butter uh, cups. Know. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like all day long, I'm talking about peanut butter cups. This happened to me the other day where my youngest, he was riding his balance bike on our couch and like the mom and me wanted to be like, this is not okay. And then the friend in me wanted to be like, that looks really fun. <laughs> yeah. Hang 10, everybody. See, this is what I mean. What's the boundary? It's like, how far do you go? Yes, you can ride your bike on the couch, but no, you cannot get whatever you want. I don't know. I think there's a lot of gray area here. And I think that really it comes down to the question, is it healthy Yes, to be exactly. a parent as well as their best friend? And is it even possible? We're going to do our best to answer that question. Next, I'm going to talk to Dr. Nicole Birkins. She's an expert with really a unique understanding of how children and parents relate to each other, because that's sort of the underlying factor here, right? Like parents are supposed to be the ones in control. It can scare kids when their parents are not in control. And then we're going to hear the story of Veronica Cole. She shares the moment when she decided she needed to be her kid's best friend. After that, we're going to dive into some stroller mail. I always love to hear from you and your funny stories that we can all relate to. So thank you for that. And then we're going to wrap it up with a relaxing moment of calm because we all need it. All right, lots to get to. Let's go. This is really going to be an interesting one. I'm curious to see what this expert has to say because I'm in the middle on this. I'm torn. Dr. Nicole Birkins is a leading holistic child psychologist. She has been working professionally with children and parents for over 20 years. These are simple research-based strategies to help kids reach their highest potential. So Dr. Birkins, I'm so thrilled to have you here. It's the wealth of experience that you have over these 20 years that really piques my interest because it's a topic. I don't really know as a parent where I land on. Can you really be your child's best friend? Is that possible? 
It's a great question. And I'm excited to delve into this because I think it's something that so many parents are asking whether they have little kids or older kids. And my professional stance on it is that parents are not meant to be their child's best friend, at least not in the younger years. You know, it depends on whether we're talking about kids that we're still raising at home or we're talking about adult children who are off on their own. We can certainly morph into more of that, you know, best friend kind of relationship with our kids in adulthood. But when they're young, they need us to be a parent. And that means they need us to be looking out for their best interests, to be recognizing that they, with their underdeveloped little brains, aren't always going to know what's best for them and that it's our job to set boundaries and be in a relationship with them in a way that guides them and helps them through those developmental phases with a focus on what is best for them, even if that means there's some discomfort for us along the way. I like that you established that particularly for young children, they need those boundaries. They need those lines drawn. But when it comes to the other side of the argument, what about in those younger years establishing, listen, I'm someone you can come to. I want you to be able to talk to me about anything. And positioning that as a best friend, isn't that something that they can take with them as they grow up? It's like, this is my most trusted person. I think really what gets confusing here for parents is often when they say, I want to be my child's friend or I want to be my child's best friend. What they're talking about is they want to have a friendly, positive, trusting, positive feeling relationship with their kids. And that's great. All of that's great. But that's different from being a friend because being a friend means that both of us mm. in the relationship are on equal footing, equal playing field. And when we're talking about raising kids, especially when they're younger, that's just not the case. They don't know what's best for them. We are in a position of needing to make decisions for them, whether it's, you know, yes, you need to brush your teeth because this is an important thing for your health, or as they get older, you know, no, you can't be going to these websites on your phone without, you know, us talking about that and looking at that to when they get even older, what are the boundaries around safe things with dating or using the car, those kinds of things. So we're not on equal footing with them. And it's important to understand that piece of it. But Absolutely, we should strive to be developing an empathic, trusting relationship with them. And I think that's really what we're going to get into in this conversation around that balance between empathy and acknowledging how our kids are feeling and at the same time setting and enforcing boundaries. That's really that magic combination that allows us to stay in our role as guide and parent while also establishing this trusting, warm, you can come to me with anything relationship that you're talking about. And you know, I really, I think that many of us might be bringing some baggage to this situation. We were raised yeah. in a generation where things, and I like how you put this, it was more authoritarian, right? Mm -hmm. It was my way or the highway. And maybe we're overthinking this, we're being too forward thinking. And you suggest being more authoritative. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two and how we balance the difference so we're not going too far over the line of recorrecting? 
Yeah, this is such an important point. And, you know, these words are similar, so it can get tricky. Um, you know, researchers and all their wisdom calling things stuff that sounds similar, authoritarian and authoritative. But authoritarian is really what a lot of us who our parents now grew up with. My way or the highway, do it because I said so. Don't ask questions. Don't buck authority. This is how it needs to be. And when we think about that, that's really a style of parenting that has high expectations, which is not a bad thing, but lacks the warmth and the support to meet those expectations. So it's high expectations with lower you know, warmth and, and support. What we want to aim for instead is this authoritative style which is this combination of high expectations. Yes, I have expectations for you. And at the same time, high warmth and high support to meet those expectations. And that's really the key. That really leads to the best outcomes for kids because they learn that they can trust us, that we're always going to operate in their best interest, that we're going to be consistent. They can trust that the limits and boundaries are going to be the same and that those are going to be fair and that they get to have their feelings about um, that, but that their feelings don't control the decisions that are made. And that actually leads to kids both through childhood and growing up into adulthood adulthood, feeling less anxious, being able to regulate their own emotions and behaviors better. Um, So that really is what the research shows is what we want to be aiming for. And it is. It's a good balanced approach. Yeah. And here's the thing. We have the research. I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years. On the flip side, what's the danger or what's some of the results that you have seen, some real life examples of that authoritarian parenting and why it can get really dangerous? Yeah, well, what happens there is that as kids grow into the teen years and certainly into their adult years, if they've been raised in that high authoritarian environment, they tend to be more anxious about you know, meeting expectations. There can be a lot of perfectionism, which in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, but it can get to the extreme. Fear of making mistakes, fear of other people being upset with them all the time for what they're doing. Um, It can also lead to them as they get into, again, the older teen, young adult years, and even further into adulthood of feeling like they don't have a voice of not speaking up, of being very passive in their relationships, both personally and at work. And so those are some of the dangers with not allowing kids any voice, with not being collaborative, with shutting down their feelings. You know, I have a saying around this that all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. And, you know, even hearing you talk about all these different styles, it's such a new way of thinking. How do you make parenting easier, more simple, more tangible, and more modern? And this feels like a new way of approaching parenting. Have you seen examples like the difference between the people that you see now and advise and the people that you did 20 years ago who are saying, I see in my child this result because I started looking at it in this way? Absolutely. And I think it's helpful to maybe talk about some examples on both sides of the coin. So back when I first started practicing, and even when I first was a parent, you know, my kids are older now, they're 15 through 22. We didn't have this understanding of the importance of acknowledging and empathizing as much with our kids' feelings. It was sort of like, let's get down to business. Here's what needs to happen. And so certainly, I think that parents now, especially millennial parents, are are recognizing that, oh, there's a different way to do this. That didn't feel great to me. I can do that differently with my kids. So I'm seeing more parents now who are 
very empathic towards their kids, who leave a lot of room for their kids' feelings, who are very attuned to um, how their kids are feeling and not wanting their children to feel like they can't have an opinion or that their feelings aren't valued. But that can go to another extreme that is also problematic. And I see parents all the time. I was, you know, talking with a parent even just yesterday about, yeah, it's great that you're so attuned to your child's feelings. And we need to not allow kids' feelings to control all the decisions that we make about things. And that's mm-hmm. where that can go in that other direction where this mom was saying to me, you know, and she has younger kids, so three through seven um, are the ages of her kids. And she was feeling so frustrated and overwhelmed because she was essentially just catering to her kids' feelings and distress all day long, whether it was, you know, offering a snack and they would cry and no, I don't want that. I want this. And her feeling like, oh, I should, you know, give them what they want so that they're not upset about that. And she was just running herself ragged with it. I see Mm -hmm. so many younger parents today so stressed out about anything that goes on where their child is feeling distressed or unhappy or anxious or whatever. And that's all part of the growing up process. And when we take that on as our problem, and I exist as a parent to make sure that those those feelings don't happen for you, that becomes really problematic, not only for us, but for them as they grow. So I think, you know, hopefully that's kind of a tangible example of we can empathize with the feelings, but also, you know, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I can say for parents at home, if you're thinking this, because I'm thinking it, it can be overwhelming and sometimes exhausting to know what that gray area looks like. It is not black and white. That's exactly what you're pointing out to. Just for an example, I was with a girlfriend at a birthday party and we both have spirited children. My five and a half year old is spirited. And she's like, I'm sick of these parenting books that are telling me I need to acknowledge her feelings. I'm ready to just pull my hair out. I'm telling her, no, this is not okay. You know, so that line is hard for us to balance of knowing when is it that we stick to our guns and say enough is enough and when do we let them have their feelings? What is that line? Well, it, it is gray. And this is one of the important big picture things of parenting, I think, both having lived it now personally and worked with so many thousands of parents professionally. There is not black and white with this stuff. Even within your own children, I have four, you have a couple of kids, they're different from one another, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're even that grayness of, you know, how we may respond to one versus another. And it's tough to exist in the gray, but it's important. And we need to know that we're not always going to get it right. Mm -hmm. That is just a basic tenet of parenting. We're not always going to get it right. You know, I think about in baseball, If they have a 300 batting average, that's amazing, right? What does that mean? That means they hit the ball three out of 10 times. I sort of take that and apply it to parenting. If we're getting it right or sort of feeling good about, you know, getting it in that gray area where we wanted it, three out of 10 times, we're doing well. And I think that so many parents, moms especially, put so much pressure on themselves to read every situation quote unquote, the right way to respond in this perfect way that doesn't exist. And to me, you know, it's in the trying. Perfection is not only not attainable, but it's actually not required to raise our kids well. Dr. Nicole Birkins, what an amazing conversation. This has given me permission to maybe fail at some of the situations I feel like I've done, but also to repair them because that's the key. Good. Thank you so much. This has been great. 
wow. <laughs> um, a big exhale, a big relief. Um, I feel like she gave us all a bit of permission to not be perfect and also that this is a gray area. It's hard to define exactly what that pal versus parent is, but it's clear being best friends and only best friends is not the way to go. Yeah, it feels like uh, at the end of the day, she's saying like, you want to be able to be the trusted person for your kids, but also um, you need to be able to be um, the the boss uh, every now and again because uh, kids need guidance as much as they – they're not going to say, hello, I'm feeling a large feeling. I need some guidance here. It'd be great if they did, honestly. Um, but they're not going to do that. No. And if you have a child that feels big feelings, just I don't know if your girls are like this, but big feeling children need acknowledgement of them. I have learned this the hard way. And it's hard to understand when it's too much and when you feel like you're coddling them. I am familiar with big feelings. That's when there's like scream crying. Are you familiar with that term? That's a term that flies around our house a lot. So, yeah, those are the scream crying. What's that? It's like screaming and crying. The, the term really, I think, sets it up pretty well. Uh, oh, it's really Yeah, cute. right, exactly. Um, it's when you're having a feeling so big that not you can't just do one mm-hmm. thing, like scream or cry. You have to scream mm-hmm. cry. Yeah, I mean, it's just really in everything of parenting, this gray area is difficult to understand. But when you follow your gut, that is when you know that you are making the best choice, not just for you, but for your children. And she just gave some really incredible advice on how to do that. Now that we've gotten some of the science and psychology that helps inform this pal versus parent discussion, I want you to hear from someone who can walk us through the emotional side of this debate. Aronica Cole is the mother of three who believes wholeheartedly that being friends with your kids is the best way to parent. We talked with her by phone and got her perspective on this. Here's our correspondent Fleece with the parenting story of the day. Veronica Cole is a blogger and parent of three who firmly believes that parents and their children should be friends. When I was growing up, one of the first things that I heard was my parents telling me that they are not one of my little friends, right? And I'm sure that many people have heard their, their parents say that to them. And I also remember going through different experiences where I needed my parents' guidance, but because I didn't feel like they were my friends or that I could have that level of communication with them, I, in essence, had to go through them by myself. I went through different traumas by myself because there was that wall up that was like, don't come to me with these little things because I'm not one of your little friends. I didn't feel comfortable or safe doing that. And I knew that when I had my children, I wanted them to always come to me. And when you are able to allow friendship to develop between you and your child, you're able to see them in a different light and they're in turn able to see you in a different light. Aronica's close relationship with her children is a parenting choice that she waited her whole life to make. But how does she discipline her children as a friend? Now, because my kids are, you know, I am my kid's best friend, that doesn't mean that there is not discipline. That doesn't mean that there isn't consequences. For example, my oldest got in-school suspension. So there were consequences that came along with that. But what it also looked like is we were able to sit down and have a respectful conversation about said consequences. We were able to talk about the different modifications that she needed to make in her behavior. We were able to talk about why she felt like it was okay for her to behave in the way that she had that led to the in-school suspension. And because we were able to have that open dialogue, I was able to meet her where she actually is 
versus where I wanted her to be. And that allowed me to help navigate her to where she was emotionally, mentally, spiritually, et cetera, to where she needed to be in order to be able to make it as a functioning person in society at the age of 11. The friendship that Aronica has with each of her children is different in the same way that adult friendships change between different people. Whether it's connecting with them or disciplining them, she tailors her parenting techniques to each child. I think that old school discipline, of course, is like spanking, timeouts, et cetera. We practice conscious parenting, so there isn't a whole lot of timeouts. So for example, yesterday, my son in a fit of frustration with his sister threw some like game at her, like it was really heavy and it hit her and she's hurt, you know? For that, it sounded like, hey, you need to take a couple of moments to yourself because you're not acting like a leader. So you can either go upstairs, you can go sit on the stairs, you can go to your room, but I need for you to have a moment to hit a reset button so that you can come back and be around people again. For my oldest, she responds really well to positive reinforcement. So we were having an issue with her consistently asking for things. Like we go out to the grocery stores, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? But then when we get home, chores aren't done or, you know, we're getting phone calls from teachers. So for her, she's on a positive reinforcement plan where she physically gets paid like little fun money for her chores. She's able to earn these things because that's what she responds to. And for the negative behaviors, we tend to just ignore because we don't want to reinforce that at all. Like if she's looking for a response from us, she's just not going to get it. And so therefore that means that that behavior is not, is going to be less likely to show up. For my middle child, she does not like to be yelled at. She doesn't like to be fussed at. In fact, if you do that, that is a surefire way to get the exact opposite of what you want from her. For her, she takes a little bit more gentle talking to. In fact, I was just talking to my husband about this because he's like, she doesn't ever clean her room. I mean, mommy's a raging creative. And I'm like, I get it. Like, what happens is she goes in with the intention to clean. She gets distracted because she's like, oh, a pom-pom. I wanted to make a project with my pom-pom. So for her, what discipline looks like is, hey, let me hold your hand. I'm going to get down to your level. Let me talk to you eye to eye. And then I need for you to repeat back what I just said and really internalize what is going on. For her, you have to take that time. So it's very different for each one of them. But at the end of the day, I lead with love and respect for each of them, even though they're kids. Aronica believes that this specialized personal parenting makes the connection with each of her children stronger, even when she is disciplining them. Because I'm friends with them, it allows me to see them in a different light that tells me what they need in that moment. It's not easy to develop different consequences for every child. You know, it's a lot easier to say, hey, if you do this infraction, no matter what this happens, but that might not work for that child. And that's okay. But because I see what works for them, I'm able to connect with them in a different way so that the punishment actually does meet the infraction. And it doesn't feel like necessarily a punishment. It feels like, ooh, my behavior got corrected. I got the correction and I need to move on. This friendship-based parenting can be controversial, but she is committed to it because she wanted to make a change from the way she was parented. Depending upon who you ask, I'm either an amazing mom or I'm a terrible mom. <laughs> My mom has expressed that she doesn't necessarily agree with my parenting, but I was parented a different way as a child. So there are definitely times where she says things like, well, that would never happen in my house, or I would beat their bottoms and things like that. And of course, I'm like, you would never lay a hand on my child because that's not how we parent, right? We parent with respect. And if I expect for my kids to grow up and to equate love with pain, 
that is going to lead to destructive behaviors. And the people who got hit as kids, we aren't okay. We are struggling. We are trying to heal ourselves and we're trying to reparent ourselves. And I just don't want my kids to do that. So my dad does approve of my parenting. In fact, he adopts some of the same methods when he has my children. And I think that it's even forced him to slow down. As far as my friends go, I think that they really like it. In fact, I had a girlfriend who was over and we were kind of talking through some of the issues that she was having with her daughter. Her youngest is a year older than my my oldest. And she's also a raging creative. So I was able to offer a different perspective in what was going on with her kid. And after we were done talking, you know, she was like, I really appreciate that you're able to offer that perspective. Because I I think sometimes as parents, we forget that we have the option to parent in a way that makes us feel good too. And being mean and disrespectful to my kids and hitting and being violent and making threats that I'm not going to follow through on because that's not who I am as a parent, it doesn't feel good. And sharing that with my friends, they understand that. And a lot of them are of the similar mindset as far as how they parent their children. At the end of the day, Aronica believes that it's a parent's responsibility to understand their children enough to parent as a friend. I'm really discouraged when I see comments like that kid needs a spanking or they need some discipline, they need someone to do such and such, and it's physically harm the child when I think that we need to just do a better job of trying to understand our children. And as adults, if we can't communicate effectively with children, it's not their fault, it's ours. We need to be the ones who take the responsibility for their lack of understanding. Or if they're having a temper tantrum, we shouldn't be the ones having the temper tantrum. We have the words, we have the experience, we have the ability to put words to emotions. And if we don't, then it's us who needs to get the help not necessarily harm our next generation. Aronica is especially proud of the relationship she has with her oldest daughter because it's the kind of relationship she longed for as a kid. I love that she feels comfortable. And this is something that is really important to me because as a child, like I went through some trauma and didn't have the support of my mom. So to know that she knows that she can bring me anything and she's brought me some stuff and that the only thing I'm going to do is love her through it We're going to navigate it together hand in hand, and I'm not going to judge her. Uh, That's not my space here. My space here as her mom and her best friend is to guide her through life the best way that I know how to. And the fact that she consistently comes back with questions or experiences that she needs help with is the biggest testimony because that's what I needed when I was her age and I didn't have it. And she does. She has it. I love it so much. What do you think about yeah. that? That was pretty clear. Uh, pretty like la- <laughs> line in the sand. She knows how she wants to parent. And it's an intense form of parenting. Like the amount of energy. It's like she has three best friends in her home all the time. That's like a uh, lifelong slumber party you're having all the time. <laughs> and Which you have three different personalities. It sounds exhausting. Although I really do respect that. I, I've got... A three-year-old that's completely different than my very spirited, almost six-year-old who needs that emotional piece. And kids that need the let's talk about your feelings piece requires a totally different parent than the one that doesn't. I will say that. I I have to put on two different hats. Three, I think I would be exhausted. That's a lot of hats. That's a lot of friends. I'm a working mom. I have no – you can't be a good friend when you – I feel like you're a terrible friend to your actual ones. So I I respect her for being a good one to her kids. 
All right, it's my favorite part of the show because we get to hear from you, the parents, all of our war stories, and yes. any of your questions. This is a good one. It's stroller mail. Let's hear what's on your mind. Let's open it up. Justin, you ready? Let's do it. Let's, uh, I'm ready for a war story. Oh, Penny R. She wrote to us saying, we signed our son up for swim lessons. He was so excited, but now every time we go, it's an absolute battle. They're screaming from him, screaming from me, everyone's watching, and then he doesn't even swim. I know swimming's important, (laughs) but is it all right to bail on swimming lessons for now? Yes, Penny, yes, you can bail. Get out, there's time. (laughs) Later, swim later. Swim later, you'll eventually learn my three-year-old was in soccer lessons I way mm. too early. I know I shouldn't have done this, but I was trying <laughs> to make it fun for him because his brother does it. He would not get off my lap. And I literally oh. carried him onto the field and started running with him. And I thought to myself, you look like an idiot. Get off this field and do not put your three-year-old in soccer. Uh, that's really funny. Yeah, I mean, we have my daughters are in ballet, and we struggle sometimes. There was a whole time where my uh, my older daughter wouldn't let us not look in the window. She would get upset when we weren't looking in the window. So I've seen hundreds of hours of ballet, child ballet, uh, because she was just so shy about being there, and whew, it was a lot. Ah, but she saw her dad in the window. She'll remember that. That's what. Those are the moments, like. It, Penny, when you ask us, is it okay to bail on swim lessons, this is like the universal, yes, yes, bail on whatever it is that would make your life easier. That's the way I feel when it comes to parenting is what makes because things easier. Making, exactly. And what ma- making a kid do something that they don't want to do, like then it maybe he'll never swim. If he's like, I have horrible memories of being in water, uh, crying the whole time, you got to let him maybe come to it a little bit, you know? Mm. If you have your stroller mail, story, question, anything you want to hear more from here on the podcast, DM us on Instagram, at Munchkin Inc. We are giving away $25 Munchkin gift cards. The first 20 people to use the code BESTFRIEND at munchkin.com get $25 off your purchase. That's best friend, one word, no spaces. So get to typing. Well, that's the show. Thank you for taking this wild ride with us. We hope that it helped to inform that decision. Is it okay to be your child's best friend? A big thanks to our guests, Dr. Nicole Birkins and Aronica Cole as well for sharing her very personal experience with this decision. And thank you to Munchkin for putting this all together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. And you can find all of your favorite Munchkin products at munchkin.com. And thank you for listening. Spread the word. Chat about it at your playgroup. Share with your girlfriends. Share with your fellow parents. We want to really be able to get your voice here on the podcast. We're all about community. So we have stroller mail so that we can hear from you. We want your questions, your stories, so that we all feel a little bit more sane. And we want to hear your thoughts on some of our topics. So be sure to reach out to us through strollercoaster.com. Hey, Lynn, two quick things. One, just want to remind everyone about our other podcast for kids called Stroller Coaster Storytime. And two, don't miss our next episode. We interview Ginger Z. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Ginger Z, she's the chief meteorologist for ABC News, a best-selling author and mom of two boys. And she shares some pretty amazing and also personal information in this interview that is just game-changing for not only her, but so many others. So you do not want to miss this episode.
And now something that you can use, but also that you deserve. A timeout and not what we give to our kids. This is a timeout, a moment of calm for you to just take for yourself. Munchkin loves our planet. So for today's moment of calm, let's celebrate that planet. Let's listen in on the gentle rain falling on Loch Lomond in Scotland. Enjoy. And we'll see you next time on Stroller Coaster.